Well, it is indeed a joy to, uh, to be back home, um, flying in on September 11th. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because every time I go, I feel like a little piece of me gets left behind. Um, but it was an amazing time and meeting with uh, some IMV missionaries and um, some opportunities, some opportunities that will be on the horizon for us to partner with. And I'm so excited to be able to share with with you in the coming weeks uh, about uh, some opportunities that maybe some of you uh, will have the opportunity to go with me uh, next August is the tentative plan. But uh, So I ask you to be praying for that. You may be sitting here today and thinking, there's no way that I'm going to go to uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Well, be careful what you say and be careful what you think. Uh, my mother told me a long time ago, actually, the day I was going to graduate high school, never say Never. Never say that you're never going to do something or have to go through something because just as sure as you say it, you've opened the door for God to give you an opportunity that's much greater than you ever thought or imagined. So you may not be able to picture yourself going halfway around the world, but I'm telling you, just as God is present in this place and this time in our worship, He may be leading some of you to come join His great plan and His great story because the world really is smaller than what we often believe. And so it's a great opportunity to be there and to, again, meet with the missionaries. And as, as we met and we discussed, uh, one of the things uh, was when I met with them, I said, you know, I don't really know if, it's, uh, if we're compatible. I don't know if uh, the ministry that you're doing there is going to be something that, you know, we, we might be able to uh, bring or assemble a team to come. And as we began to talk, there were some critical things that came on the table. And ironically, uh, two issues that surfaced is exactly what is being addressed in this scripture today in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, and, those, and those issues really uh, emanate from a sense of urgency. They come from a sense of urgency that we all should have as followers of Christ and that we should all should have as human beings as we recognize that God who began a work a long time ago, who continued that work through his people and the nation of Israel, and who continues to work through people like you and me up to the present time. Now, all throughout the centuries, even in uh, New Testament times, particularly when Paul is, is writing in First and Second Thessalonians, you'll run into this issue uh, in the early church. What do we do now that some of our people in our local churches are passing away? Because the church of the New Testament time believed that the coming of Christ was imminent, that it was going to happen in their lifetime. So in for particular 2 Thessalonians, where people in the local churches started to pass away, there's concern. What, what do we make of this? I thought Christ was going to return. And all throughout history, particularly as you get up to the first millennium, the exchange from the year like 999 to 1000, if you go back and you look at the literature at the time, you'll find that it was much like what was happening in the late 90s here when we had Y2K and whatnot. There was this sense of urgency. Oh, the end of the world is coming. What are we going to do? And that's along the same times that those great books that many of you read, Left Behind series, came out. And many people came to Christ through that Left Behind series uh, as it was kind of a, uh, an exploration or exploring what's going to happen in the end times. And again, it's an interpretation of things, but what I will applaud is that many people came to Christ through reading and studying those books and the scriptures that corresponds to them. The sense of urgency must be something that is present in our lives. And the sense of urgency is, is twofold. It's not a sense of urgency to get in as much fun or as many toys as we can. The sense of urgency is to make sure that the gospel 
goes out into all the world, uh, not just uh, around the world, but in our neighborhood, in our world. There are people here in Elizabethan who are not in church today. As a matter of fact, there's probably more people shopping at Walmart in this very moment than what we have in this room. And so the needs are great. You say, well, you know, they could have gone to church last night. Yes, they could have gone to church last night, but the closest church that has a Saturday evening service that most of them would attended is at least 45 minutes to an hour away. Most people that are in Walmart this morning, most people that are on the golf course this morning were not in a season of worship last evening. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Now, we can either uh, kind of pray uh, about it and say, Lord, I just pray that you would help them people go to church, which that's fine. There's people that have prayed for centuries. Some people prayed for you, that you would actually get up and come to church, and you finally did, and you accepted Christ, and your life has been changed, and you've been here ever since. But the reality is, the sense of urgency must propel us to do more than simply praying. We must engage people. And it's very hard to engage people when you and I sit kind of cute and, and, and copacetic and calm and comfortable in the pew. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I, I shared uh, over the last uh, week and a half with the missionaries is, you know, one of my frustrations is in my line of work, I'm surrounded by Christians all the time. I have to try to be around lost people. I have to, I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, if you look at my, my daily routine, I come in the office, hello, Linda, you're a Christian. Great. What do we got on the schedule today? You know, somebody that drops by the office, nine times out of ten, they're believers. Uh, they have some kind of trouble or some kind of issue they want to address in the local church. I might go to lunch at coffee company or go across to Jay's Corner. Nine-tenths of the people that come in there are in church or I see them, and half the time I'm seeing you. So I have to make sure I'm behaving myself even when I go out to eat. I can't ever, you know, I can never be off, so to speak. But I have to try to be around lost people. And I'm willing to bet that for many of you, you have the same kind of story. If you think about the people that are around you all the time, who are the people that you hang out with? Who are the people that you and I spend time with? They look and act and talk and have the same values as we do. See, God did not call us to create cookie cutter Christians. In other words, we look in the mirror, we see what God's doing, and then replicate that so that everybody that I encounter looks and acts like me. God, help us if that would happen. God doesn't want cookie cutter Christians. But God wants us to have a sense of urgency where we go into the world that he has created, that he's, that he's put and suspended in space. He's put people in your path. Listen, if you own your own business... If you own your own business and God has given you, listen, when you own your own business, you're dealing with a lot of different people that come through your doors on a weekly basis. How are you impacting them for the gospel? How are you impacting with your sense of urgency? If we believe that Christ is coming, let me see, how many of you believe Christ is coming? Yeah. Uh, it, it, do we, not, we don't know whether he's coming today or tomorrow, but here's the safe thing to say. Every day that we exist and have our being and have our lives, we are a closer day to the point that Jesus is going to come. Now what's amazing to me is, he says, no one knows the time nor the hour, the day of the hour which the Lord will come. Jesus doesn't even know when Jesus is coming. I think that's amazing. I mean, Jesus, fully human and fully God, yet the Father has not given Jesus the insight to know, and here's, here's the bigger thing, Jesus has chosen to limit his knowledge of the time that is to come, so why? He could identify with those of us who are clueless. So we are just as clueless as Jesus is, as the Son of God, about when the trumpet's going to sound and when he 
is going to begin the inauguration of his new kingdom. By the way, the inauguration of that new kingdom comes when Jesus first came into the world as he was born as a baby. He embraced the world, though the world did not receive him as his own, and so they rejected him. And now we have spent the last 2,000 years trying to get back at the essence of the relationship that you and I could have with God that potentially could be there if and only if we would be completely surrendered to his will. You know, when I was in college, I used to work at a college bookstore, Christian bookstore, and I'll never forget, there was an author, I cannot remember his name, but the title of the book was 1994, question mark. And that kind of piqued my curiosity, so I began reading. And sure enough, the author was predicting that the end of the world would come in 1994. Now the problem with that is, it was 1996. Needless to say, that book was on the clearance section of the Christian bookstore. Now, the interesting thing is, I was there in 96 and 97, and that author came out with the second edition of the book and entitled it 1999, question uh, mark. And so as a way, I mean, I looked at both editions, and one was just expounding, and he said, you know, we don't really know the time or the hour, but all the signs, the sun and the moon and the stars. How many of you have been following the blood moons? Have you heard about the blood moons and how that's a sign of the, the coming of the age of Christ? Now, listen, <laughs> there have been blood moons for decades, for hundreds of years. The important thing is not that you and I try to figure out exactly when Jesus is coming, because guess what? You're not ever going to know. We are never going to know the exact time or the hour, but the importance of, and this is the thing as I discussed with missionaries over the last two weeks, when you and I are engaged in ministry, and when we accept our, the calling of God on our lives, and I hope this morning that you can say, number one, I'm a follower of Christ, and number two, that I'm pursuing His will. Not necessarily pursuing His will for your life, but you're pursuing His will. Because you see, if you and I begin trying to pursue God and try to pursue His will through our lives, our lives end up beginning, begin the beginning point of the conversation. Our lives should never be the focal point of what God is doing. His will. It's not, God, how is your will working out in my life? You see, my life is the focus. It is, how is your will being accomplished, period. My life is but a footnote to His will being accomplished. And the more we think of that, then we end up understanding that, listen, God is much bigger than we are. This God who created the world and suspended the stars and moon and sun in space, this God who infinitely knows more about you than you know about yourself or anybody else, this God is interested in you personally. He's interested in changing your life. And one of the key components in Matthew chapter 24 is the realization that you and I need to be ready. So my first question today, are we ready? If you look in uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 36, it says, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we tend to think, and we, we kind of read into Scripture, we know that God uh, used Noah, that in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 6, that Noah found favor or found grace in the eyes of God, and as a result, Noah was told to build an ark. Now, we also know that evil had grown rampant on the earth. And we tend to focus on that. We're like, well, thank goodness we're not in that kind of predicament. We've not reached the point where we're evil. Be careful. Be careful. Because what happens in Genesis chapter 6 
if we forget, you know, we, we're so caught up in the fact that the world is evil and God is going to punish the world for its evilness that we kind of impose that view in Matthew chapter 24. But I want you to notice what Matthew chapter 24 says about the time of Ad, or about the time of Noah. It says, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Now, does it say anything there about being evil? No. It says that people were busy eating. I mean, that's Baptist. We were busy eating. We were drinking. Now, they were not drinking alcoholic beverages. They were drinking. That's what the Bible says. And they were marrying and giving in to marriage. It sounds like pretty normal to me, does it not you? That people were going about an ordinary life. Now, Genesis chapter 6 focuses on the evil. Matthew chapter 24 focuses on the fact, basically, people were just existing. They were going through everything nonchalantly. Everything's predetermined. And I bet you, if I look at your calendars and your schedule, it's a lot like mine. There are things that happen every week that we get in a rut and accustomed to. For instance, we come to church on Sunday morning. It happens the same time every week. It's like a given factor that I'm going to be here uh, at 9.30. Hopefully you come for Sunday school. It's a given factor. I'm going to be here for worship at 10.45. It's a given factor that if Todd doesn't speak longer than he should, then we should be out by noon. But occasionally something happens and Todd forgets and we go, we go longer. But we get in this routine. Most of you have a routine every day in your jobs. There's a certain time you report to work. There's a certain time that you come home. Now there may be peculiarities in your schedule. There may be differences in your schedule. But by and large, you live... And I live a mundane life. The people in Genesis chapter 6 were going on life just ordinary. Going through the routine of schedules and planners. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying and giving in a marriage. There's nothing inherently wrong with what they were doing according to Matthew chapter 24. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nothing inherently wrong about what they were doing, but nothing exceedingly glorifying about what they were doing either. They were just going through life, ordinary, just ordinary life. And the reality is that the God who hung the sun and moon and stars in space is not interested with a pathetic, ordinary life. He has called us to live an extraordinary life. An extraordinary life that's in Him and in Him alone. Not only uh, is that, but it really it, it's an issue of being ready. Because the people in Noah's day, they were just going through the ordinary routine. And guess what happened? That routine was unaltered. That routine continued until what happened? The rain came. Till the water rose. Till God shut the door of the ark. And the human race was wiped out except for those in Noah and Noah's party. All because the people who were doing ordinary things weren't ready for an extraordinary occurrence when an extraordinary God showed up. And the same is going to be true for those of us on this planet. When God shows up, no one's going to know the time or the hour. No one knew when the rains were going to come up, when the water was going to come up from the ground, when the water was going to come down from the heavens, when the ark was finally going to float. No one knew when it was going to happen. Noah didn't know when it was going to happen. But what Noah knew and what Noah told people and what they told people was, it is definitely going to happen. It's not a question of if it's a matter of when and the same is true for us Christ 
is going to come back. I, can't, uh, I cannot explain to you exactly how he's going to come back. I don't know whether, you know, there's all these, there's, for those of you who get all caught up in this stuff, there are premillennialists, there are postmillennialists, there are amillennialists. Uh, all these words that I can't even halfway pronounce or, or describe, and there's all these things that people sign up for. Listen, I don't care whether you're a pre, a post, or an A. It makes no difference. The fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is coming back, and the question of the hour is, are you and I going to be ready? Because if you and I are not ready, when the storm comes, when the trumpet sounds, when the roll is called up yonder, you and I better be present when it's called down here. God is not waiting for you and I, for you and me, to be committed to Him. God is waiting for us as ordinary people to begin living an extraordinary life, demonstrating the fact that we're not only ready, but we have a sense of urgency, and we're going to do everything in God's power to make sure that everybody on the face of this planet has had the opportunity to know Christ and to make Him known. Everybody in Walmart, everybody on the golf course, everybody that you work with, everybody that you serve at your business, every single person in Tennessee, in North America, in the Western Hemisphere, in all hemispheres in the entire universe will know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ, in a demonstration of our readiness, Jesus Christ is either Lord over all, or He's not Lord at all. He is either Lord over all, or He's not your Lord at all. You see, it's not this thing that you can be 99% committed, 99% committed to Christ with this 1% reservation. And that's the way most of us operate. That's why we don't live an extraordinary life. The reason, listen, the reason that you and I do not fulfill God's call is because we have reservations about what it truly means to follow Him. Jesus did not say, I want you to live an ordinary life and you'll go about your ordinary day with ordinary people and ordinary circumstances from this point to the day you die. Jesus expects us to live an extraordinary life, to accept his call on our lives and to be fruitful and to make sure that we have this sense of urgency that we are ready and that we're willing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why when you look in Genesis and you look at the story of Abraham and uh, Abraham and his, and his, his struggle with taking Isaac to be sacrificed. And I've said this before, that so many people get caught up with the fact, I cannot believe God would require Abraham to take his one and only son Isaac and then to have the opportunity to sacrifice him in the altar. But ladies and gentlemen, don't miss the point. A lot of times, God is not expecting us to sacrifice what is most dear to us. But God is demanding our willingness to do just as much. You see, God does not necessarily want you to go all the way around the world, though you and I better be willing, ready, and able to do so. He's looking for a willing heart. He's looking for a willing vessel. He's looking for a capable being. He's looking for ordinary people like you and me to have an extraordinary life in Him. Are we ready? The tragedy, the tragedy is not that we're not serving. The tragedy is an inability 
to differentiate between those who are committed to Christ and those who are not when it comes our readiness and our faithfulness. He wants 100% commitment. While I mentioned two weeks ago when I stood in this pulpit, uh, of course many of you have been following and some of you didn't even know what I referenced in the Ashley Madison uh, scandal and the 30 million people who had subscribed to those services. While I'm in Rwanda, I have a dear friend of mine who uh, resigned last week from a church uh, as, uh, as, as a youth person as a direct result of Ashley Madison. While I was in Rwanda, I also found out that a New Orleans seminary professor committed suicide uh, at the end of August because his name was on the list of Ashley Madison. What does that tell me? It tells me, listen, that our world is broken. Does it surprise me that friends of mine or people who have given their life to the gospel who are leading and directing churches, does it surprise me that they're caught up in these things? Not at all. Because every single one of us on any given day, on our best day, is susceptible from the worst nightmares that you and I can experience. Why? Because you and I are broken people in a broken world and we're in need of a Savior who can reach down in the midst of our brokenness so that we can have an extraordinary life. And listen, people want an extraordinary life and they're looking all over the place and they're soliciting this and soliciting that and they're going to Ashley Madison why because they want to have a thrill they need a thrill out of their ordinary circumstance and I'm telling you I'm telling you ladies and gentlemen that we are naive to assume that the thrill is not even in this room and that it's not in our community we have people that are soliciting things all the time in an attempt to break out of the ordinary mundane lives that you and I live. And here's the thing, it doesn't have to be that way because God has called us to so much more. Are you ready? Am I ready for the coming of the Son of Man? And then I want you to look at verse 42 of the passage. Verse 42, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect. And not only, ladies and gentlemen, are we to be ready, but we need to be focused. So the question, are we focused? Are we keeping watch? Are we waiting with great anticipation the Savior of the world who has saved us, the Savior of the world who has called us, the Savior of the world who has purposed First Baptist Church, Elizabethan, and this time and space, and we're a part of this body. Are we focused on what He's doing? We must begin to expect the unexpected. We must be strategic in our work, continuing to serve with divine purpose. We should not serve out of guilt, we should not serve out of fear, but we must serve out of faithfulness, focused on God's call, His will, and our gifts. If you look in the story uh, here in Matthew chapter 24, it says in verse 45, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? And then verse 46, It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. God has not called us to quit our jobs and move up on the highest mountain and, and sing and dance waiting on Him to return. 
God has not called us to be a monastery Christian community in which we move out of the culture of the world and we become our own subculture. Although in many cases, that's exactly what the church is today. We are so detached from the world that we can't begin to impact it. No, God has said be in the world and not of the world. Be salt and light. Flavor the culture. Flavor the culture. Don't stand down. Don't stand against. Stand up for the one who called you, the one who saves you, the one who loves you, and the one who is calling you to an extraordinary, beautiful life are we ready are we focused are we committed he's not interested in 99 percent commitment i want you to look if you've got a spouse in this room sitting beside you i want you to say these to your i want you to ask this question to your spouse honey is it okay if i'm only 99 percent committed to you go ahead y'all don't sound enthusiastic about that is it okay if 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 if, if i'm only 99 percent committed to you no, no one gets married. I'm going to do a wedding next week. No one, listen, that couple is not going to come. I don't think they are. That couple's not going to come uh, up here, come on, you know, come in the middle of, of our of the marriage worship service and say, you know what, I love you. I love you 99%. There's 1% reservation, but we're just going to go ahead and go with it. I mean, I've done over 70 weddings. I've never had anybody go through it. You know what? I've had a lot of people end up having broken marriages that started off well. Why? Because, listen, Listen, sex is not the thrill that you must seek in your marriage. Christ is the thrill you must seek in your marriage. When everybody else leaves you, well, listen, you're not always going to like your spouse. You're not always going to like the way he or she looks. You're not always going to like the way he or she smells. Listen, every spouse has morning breath when you wake up. It is not what you smelled when you gave them your first kiss. Whew. Praise the Lord. But our commitment must not waver. Our commitment must be solid and as assured as the commitment we have to love our children and our grandchildren, to be committed to our jobs, to be timely and committed to be a person of virtue, to live an extraordinary life. Are we ready? Are we focused? Keep watch. Expect the unexpected. Be strategic in our work. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, the physical absence of the master does not mean that you and me as servants get to do what we want. The idea is, and I, listen, I, I know what it's like to work in a secular workplace. I worked for Winn-Dixie for 10 years. And anybody, I'm sure the same as Ingalls, be the same if uh, Publix, if we were ever fortunate enough to get a Publix around here. Uh, hint, hint. Uh, but Publix, Ingalls, any of these grocery stores, Food City or whatnot. Listen. If you're a bag boy, or you're a cashier, and the manager, and the assistant manager who leave by 7 p.m., let me tell you something, work is a lot different at 5 p.m. than it is at 7. Because once the masters leave, once the bosses leave, well, we can kind of let down our guard and do what we want to do. I know because I did it for 10 years. And still got paid the same. That's why I loved working in the evening. Because the boss was gone. He would sit behind that window, that one paint or that one view window where you couldn't see him, but he could see out. Drove me crazy. Sit there eating his hot dog while we're slaving. Just drove me bananas. But when he went home, ah, we can let down our guard. We can do what we want to. Shoot fireworks off in the parking lot, etc. All kinds of things. You laugh. 
but do we not embody the same kind of things sometimes in our own Christian walk? Well, Jesus is not physically here. I've got, I've got time to be committed to him. I've got a, a time to make a, a decision. I've got time to grow my relationship with Christ. I'm probably not going to die today. Well, you might not die today, but you might. See, there's always a chance. See, because you can't change anything. We can't change anything about what was. And when you and I talk about the present, the present is gone in the instant. And it's already passed. But we have to live in the present with knowledge of what we experienced with the past and anticipating a greater future. And that can only happen when we're ready and when we're focused. And just because Jesus is not here physically, just because he's not speaking exactly what I'm speaking, just because you can't come up and touch him, doesn't mean that he's not here. As a matter of fact, he is what we call omnipresent. He is everywhere you want him to be, and he's everywhere that you don't want him to be. He is in the nook and crannies of our lives. He's in the secret and dark places. He's in the places that we don't want to shine a light in. He's in the darkness that we're dealing with. He's in the habitual sin that we're struggling with. He is in the midst of that. He knows all about it. And some of us are not living an extraordinary life today because that secret dimension of our lives, that secret place, that closet space that we don't even want to acknowledge with, to our spouse, that one small part, which represents 1% of our lives in the place of God, that 1%, we're committed 99%, that 1% is keeping us from living an extraordinary life. Gosh, we have made so much of that 1%. We have let that 1% define who we are. We've let that 1% keeping, it has kept us from volunteering. We've allowed it to keep us from serving God. We've allowed it to define who we are. We have allowed it to shower, shower distress and fear and anxiety and we we do so listen we pursue God and we follow him with reservation not because we don't believe he's great but we don't believe in our heart of hearts that he can radically take that darkness and have his way with it so many of us this morning are being defined by 1%. And listen, the 99% of, of our composite is wonderful and beautiful, but we're allowing 1% of our lives to determine our destiny. Are we ready and are we focused? Are we ready for when Christ comes? Because here's the reality. When we are ready, we will be focused. And when we are focused, we will be ready. Simply ask this this morning, as you've come into this place and as we began with baptism, with, with people coming to Christ and want to make professions of faith, as you and I have come and darkened the doors and as we look, uh, as we peer introspectively in our lives and as we look in the deepest and darkest places, I, I bet you there's some things this morning that have gone unconfessed. I bet you, honestly, I bet you every single person in this room, every person that's here, listen, 
ask the person beside you, are you here? Go ahead, are you here? Because you know what? There could be a lot of people physically present here who are really not present here. See, I know what that's about too. But every single person in this room is probably dealing with something, that 1%. And that 1% is defining you. That 1% is crouching at your door. That 1% is looking to devour you. That 1% is looking to define you. Surrender the 1%. Be freed up to do amazing and extraordinary things. Live an extraordinary life. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary is not about how much you study. It's not about how much of the word of Christ that you know. The difference between an ordinary life and an extraordinary life is a life that is fully released and committed to Him. So I ask you this morning... Is there any part of your makeup, is there any part of your story, is there any part of your life that you've been holding back? Because when you come to God in worship, in truth, and in authenticity, when you come to Him as a real person, guess what? There are no secrets. He knows everything about you. He knows it. And yet He chooses to continue to love you, even though you and I sometimes have trouble loving ourselves. And he's here this morning. He's here this morning. He's as real as what I'm standing in this room speaking to you about. And he's saying, why, why, why are you allowing that stupid circumstance, that idiotic and foolish circumstance, why are you allowing, allowing that person's words that they uttered two decades ago, why are you living in fear of what they say, live in the light of my salvation, live in the light of an extraordinary life that can be yours if only you and me and everyone else in the world will surrender our lives to Christ. Don't continue to live ordinary. Live extraordinary. Be ready. Be focused. Because Christ is coming. He is coming. He is coming. And there's nothing that you and I can do about that. But for those of us who are being defined by 1% issues, for those of us who are living fear of, of pursuing Him or living in fear of what He may be calling, uh, uh, God's call in our lives. For those of us who are just struggling immensely with this situation or that situation, let it go. Just let it go. And begin living a life that's far better than you could ask or imagine. When you travel around the world and when you go into a third world country, and as I sat um, on Wednesday near a banana plantation in southern Rwanda, near the border of Burundi, which is one of the poorest nations uh, in Africa with poverty and whatnot. And the people where I was around, they were impoverished. And I, I tried to post some of those pictures. I couldn't post them all, but post some of those pictures. And I sat in a pastor's home, had a dirt floor. Uh, the only picture on the wall was an IMB, International Mission Board, storyboard, which sto told the story of the gospel. It's the only thing hanging on his wall. And I had like a seven-course meal. And he sat, and he's poor, and the people are poor, but they had heard that an American was coming that could potentially partner with their church, could bring a team to teach them Bible, to teach them nutrition, to teach them various things, 
and he wanted to make sure that I enjoyed their hospitality. And so as they serve the food and they bring out and, you know, there's rice, there's cassava, which the only thing I can say about cassava is it's greener than anything that could come out of your nose. Um, it's, uh, it's very interesting texture. Uh, the meat, um, they call it beef. It's not beef. Um, I've, I'm hoping it was goat that I ate. I'm not sure. Didn't ask questions. Just ate it. Um, but the reality is this. They're starving. They're starving. They're struggling. But yet, they have no fear. They're grateful for what they have. And what they have, in my Western view, is nothing. But what they have, in many ways, is so much greater than what many of us have. Because they have Jesus they have Christ. And their attempt, listen, his prayer, listen to his prayer. His prayer as I departed, basically as he spoke in Kirwandan, Lord, be with Todd as he goes back to his church in the United States. Be with the people that he leads. Find them faithful. Give them hope in Christ. Give them peace for their journey. And may they, may they be as committed as we are to seeing Christ lived out among the nations. What do you say to that? Listen, an ordinary and extraordinary life, being extraordinary, having an extraordinary life, is not about having all the things that we're used to having. Having an extraordinary life is about having Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Are we ready? Are we focused? As we stand and as we have this invitation today, as we sing and as they come up and as she begins to play in Christ alone, I pray and I hope as we are ready and focused that you can say, I stand in Christ alone, who is the source of my strength, who is the source of my hope, who gives me each day and yet your commitment today in this invitation listen with everybody in this room that your commitment simply be this I'm going to be sold out for Christ I'm going to quit living an ordinary life and I'm going to live extraordinarily in the light of Jesus so as you come today whatever you're struggling with whatever you've been defined by whatever problems you're facing decisions life decisions that that you are struggling with you and your spouse are struggling with whatever relationship problems however you have attempted to have your life to thrive whatever thrills you have sought whether it's Ashley Madison or some other avenue of thrill seeking listen find your thrill in Christ and in Christ alone find your hope in Christ in Christ alone find love in Christ in Christ alone don't look to someone else don't look to a friendship don't look to a quick fix look to Jesus Christ because he can give you what you so desperately desperately need that's an extraordinary life and it begins today as we stand as we respond won't you come if you need to confess if you need to come to this altar and lay yourself at Christ's feet you stand in Christ alone you respond in Christ alone you be fulfilled in Christ alone as you worship as you offer as you give yourself
to a God who immeasurably loves you more than you could ask or imagine, who suspended the moon and the stars and sun in space. He's put you in this place in this time. And listen, it's not about your story. It's not about your life. It's about Him. Won't you be committed? Won't you come? Won't you come to be a part of our fellowship? Become a part of First Baptist Church. We're going places not because we're great, but we're going places because we've been taken up by an extraordinary God who's calling us to an extraordinary life. Won't you come as we stand and as we respond?